The United States and the Allied forces who defeated Japan in 1945 remember that great victory this month. I think most of you had the opportunity to see uh, footage of the dropping of the atomic bombs over Japan over this past month, uh, the uh, surrender of the uh, Japanese forces aboard uh, the USS Missouri in Tokyo Bay on September the 2nd of 1945, where General Douglas MacArthur, Supreme Commander Allied Forces of the Asia, of the Asian Pacific, uh, had the opportunity to give a most inspiring speech uh, warning mankind that this was their last chance. And, of course, we now come down 60 years later and uh, mankind has still not learned his lessons. We understand and realize, of course, that a time is coming when, just as uh, Douglas MacArthur had said, the guns have fallen silent in the Pacific, and he hoped they would fall silent forever. We know as we turn to Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, let's turn there, Isaiah chapter 2, and in verse 2, that the true silencing of the guns of war uh, will not take place until Jesus Christ returns of king, as King of kings and Lord of lords. We notice here in Isaiah chapter 2, <clears throat> it shall come to pass in the last days, Isaiah chapter 2, verse 2, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established in the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills, and all nations shall flow unto it. And notice in verse 4, And he shall judge among the nations and shall rebuke many people, and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. I'm going to be reading from the old King James Version. I'm one of those dinosaurs from years gone by that finds it hard to go to the new King James. Uh, but what I do do is uh, modernize the language a little. My problem is that we uh, studied at Ambassador College from the old Oxford Wide margin Bible, and I know where everything is on the pages. <laughs> so when I turn there, I can identify where it is. So please bear with me as I go through the sermon and, uh, <clears throat> and use this particular uh, translation. So the kingdoms of this world, it says in Revelation chapter 11, in verse 15, we won't turn there, <clears throat> it says the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdoms of our Lord. And it also says in that particular verse that the seventh angel will sound. Now, the seventh angel is the most important of all the angels who sounds the trumpets at the end of, the, of this age. And an amazing and a miraculous event takes place as the seventh angel sounds. And we pick that up in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in verse 52. Let's turn there, please, everyone, to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and in verse 52. Here we have uh, a scripture that uh, you might say is the keynote verse for the whole of the book of uh, the chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, because this is the resurrection chapter. And here in verse 52, it says, In a moment, 
in the twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. This is an incredible event that is going to take place in the near future, a time in which those who are alive, who are faithful to Jesus Christ, who have repented, who have been converted, who have submitted their lives in total submissiveness and total surrender to God and Jesus Christ, these people will be changed in the twinkling of an eye at the very last trump. Notice verse 53, For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. This is called the resurrection of the righteous saints. And it is, as I said, just in the very near future, a time when mankind, those who have been faithful to Jesus Christ, will either be resurrected or change miraculously from physical to spirit in the twinkling of an eye. It is interesting to note that when the United States uh, and the Allied forces called upon the Japanese to surrender, uh, the Japanese refused to surrender unconditionally or totally in the first instance. They said, no, we will not surrender and we most certainly will not surrender or renounce our worship of our emperor as a god. Now, what happened was that the Americans then got back to the Japanese and said, no, you must unconditionally and totally surrender. And you must renounce your belief that the emperor of Japan is a god. Now, it's interesting that everyone who comes to God and Jesus Christ must also totally surrender unconditionally and must renounce our own sovereignty over ourselves and give our lives in total and complete obedience to God. And when we do that, when we are absolutely certain that we will not hold back one iota from the great God in the way that we live our lives, yes, we'll make mistakes, yes, we'll sin, yes, we'll slip up, yes, we'll fall. But if our intent is to be totally committed and totally obedient to God, then we will be in this resurrection, the first resurrection. And so this afternoon I would like to take some time to talk about the resurrections because the Bible speaks of not just one resurrection but plural resurrections. And as we go through we're going to see an amazing story that there are different resurrection types as well as different resurrections at different times. But let me reiterate, no one will be changed or resurrected to a spirit body to become a son of God unless they have totally surrendered to God. All other resurrections that are recorded in the Bible where people have not totally surrendered to God are physical resurrections. 
Some people wonder about all these different resurrections and who, who rises when and at, you know, in which manner. The simplest way to understand the resurrections is this. Those who are resurrected to spirit life and are given spirit bodies, they will be the ones that will be in, it will be in the first resurrection and then those who come after will be changed at a, at a time in the future. So let's have a look at this fascinating story by starting with one of the first physical resurrections recorded in the Bible. So let us notice then that there are such things as physical resurrections and we read of this one in 2 Kings chapter 4 and verses 32 to 37. 2 Kings chapter 4, 32 to 37. This is the account of Elisha with the Shunammite widow's son. 2 Kings chapter 4 verse 32. It says, and when Elisha was come into the house, the, the, the story, by the way, is that this, this lady, this uh, widow, had had a child who had fallen down and uh, when he'd gone to see his father with a, obviously a terrible, terrible headache. Uh, you know, if you were a medical person, you might say, well, this was a, 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 an aneurysm or a, a stroke or a, maybe a, a brain tumor. We don't know what it is. But the child died. And here in verse 32, the, uh, the woman was in grief because her son had died. And it says, Elisha, in verse 32, was come into the house. Behold, the child was dead and laid upon his bed. He went in, therefore, and shut the door upon the, the two and prayed unto the Lord. And he went up and he lay upon the child and put his mouth upon his mouth and his eyes upon his eyes and his hands upon his hands. And he stretched himself upon the child, and the flesh of the child waxed warm. Then he returned, and walked in the house to and fro, and went up and stretched himself upon him. And the child sneezed seven times, and the child opened his eyes. And he called Gehazi and said, Call the Shunammite. So he called her. And when she was coming unto him, he said, Take up your son. Then she went in and fell at his feet and bowed herself to the ground and took up her son and went out. An amazing story of a physical resurrection. Let's go to the New Testament, Matthew chapter 27, the account of some other physical resurrections that took place at the very time that Jesus Christ was resurrected. These were also physical resurrections. Matthew chapter 27 and here in verse 51, it says, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks were rent. And the graves were open, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now, tradition has it, that the Jews of the day, when they had seen these physical resurrections, went around and hunted down these people to kill them. And so we know then that there were physical resurrections in the Old Testament, physical resurrections in the New Testament. Let's go to, of course, one of the most famous ones in John chapter 11. 
This is the story, of course, of the brother of Mary and Martha. His name was Lazarus. And we learn a great deal from this account about the resurrections. It certainly shows that Mary and Martha knew that there would be a great resurrection at the last day. Uh, Jesus Christ uh, had obviously taught them a great deal. Uh, But here we notice in uh, uh, John chapter 11, in verse 21, it says, Then said Martha unto Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother had not died. But I know that even now, whatsoever you will ask of God, God will give it you. Jesus said unto her, Your brother shall rise again. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. And then Jesus Christ said a most important thing. He said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And let me tell you, that life is not physical life. Do you remember when God said to Adam and Eve, In the day that you eat of this tree, you shall surely die. I'm sure that most of us have thought he meant a physical death. No. The lesson of the trees in the Garden of Eden are spiritual lessons. When God said, in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die, he meant ultimately if we do not repent of eating of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, we cannot eat of the tree of life eternal spiritual life and so likewise when Jesus Christ said here I am the resurrection and the life he's talking about eternal life that's why we cannot be resurrected to spirit life eternal life unless we have renounced the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and we are prepared to obey God, and he symbolically allows us to re-enter the Garden of Eden to eat of the tree of life, the tree of eternal life. So this is the distinction between the resurrections. These physical resurrections that we have read of here, these people who were resurrected, let me ask you, is Lazarus still alive? Is he a spirit being? What about the Shunammite son? Is he still alive? Imagine what that would be like if you could have someone that was resurrected from the dead, you know, uh, how long ago? We're talking about uh, Elisha back then, uh, uh, probably uh, two and a half, over two and a half thousand years ago. You'd have someone living two and a half thousand years. People would know all about it. Now, that, that young boy that was resurrected, he probably lived out a normal life and died at a ripe old age. Uh, do you think Lazarus is still alive? No, he's not alive. He died also. So let's read about this here in John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus Christ said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. We understand what Christ was talking about. We are all dead men. See? Jesus Christ is the resurrection and the life. Verse 20. And whosoever lives and believes believes in me shall never die. Believe you this? You see, 
I'm sure that Mary and Martha said, oh, yes, we believe, but they wouldn't have understood like we do. You see, if you are, if you are baptized, if you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, you already have eternal life dwelling in you. You are not yet born into the family of God. You are not yet a born son of God. But you have that embryo, embryonic down payment of the Holy Spirit and eternal life dwelling in you, waiting for the resurrection. Now notice in verse 43, <clears throat> here in John chapter 11, And when he thus had spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. And he that was dead came forth, bound hand and foot with grave clothes. And his face was bound about with a napkin. Jesus said unto them, Loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. But some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things Jesus had done. And of course the Pharisees would have then, if they could have, sought to kill Lazarus as well. So these are the physical resurrections that had occurred up until the time of the most important resurrection that has ever taken place, and that is the resurrection of Jesus Christ himself. Without the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you and I have no chance. His was the most important resurrection. So let's have a look at that here in Luke chapter 24, verse 36, where we have one of several accounts of what transpired after three days and three nights of Jesus Christ being in the grave. Luke chapter 24, and we're going to read here in verse 36. Remember, of course, the, the uh, events that had uh, preceded this. Do you remember the uh, two disciples that were walking on the road to Emmaus? And a man came and joined them and walked with them and talked about things, and they just thought he was a stranger until they worked out and realized that it was actually Jesus Christ. And so they went, it says in the uh, earlier verses, and they found the 11 disciples in a room. And so they joined them in the room, and the door was closed, it says in another uh, account. And so we pick it up in verse 36, where it says, And as they thus spoke, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them. So he just appeared. He didn't come, didn't knock on the door, you know, and they let him in. He just appeared. Then what does it say? He said unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled, and why do thoughts arise in your hearts? Behold, my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. And then he said something interesting. He said, Handle me and see, for a spirit has not flesh and bones as you see me have. And then he said, when, and then it says, And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not for joy and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, a fish, and of a honeycomb. And he took it and did eat before them. So here we have Jesus Christ, a spirit being, a resurrected spirit body, being able to also manifest himself in physical form and sit and eat a meal. 
just as Jesus Christ had done with Abraham in Genesis 18. So what does that mean for us? It means that when we are resurrected, when we are given a spirit body, we too will be able to sit down and eat some broiled fish and a hamburger and a good steak <laughs> and whatever you, you enjoy. Jesus Christ said to the disciples, I will not drink of this the fruit of the vine until I drink it anew with you in the kingdom. So we're starting to put together a most amazing understanding of what spiritual resurrections are all about. It says he went from earth to heaven, was received by his father and was back on earth in no time at all. So we start to put together a most interesting account of what it's like to be a spirit being. Let's go to 1 John chapter 3. This is a scripture that should be very encouraging to each one of us. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 2. I'm sure most of you have read this scripture many a time. You know it and you've been excited by it. But let me read it to you again. It says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that has this hope in him purifies himself even as he is pure. So we're starting to put together an interesting picture now of what a spiritual resurrection is really like. You can start to extrapolate these scriptures and these thoughts into your own mind to realize that in the kingdom, you too will be able to travel at faster than the speed of light, that you will be able to be here in the United States and just give a, a thought for a moment that you'd like to be in Jerusalem at headquarters and zap, you're there. And Jesus Christ is King of Kings and Lord of Lords says, well, come on in. I was just about to have lunch. Sit down. Here's a, a feast for you. And then you'll be able to zap and go back to some of the people that you're looking after, maybe in uh, the Philippines, and sit down and have some baka tapa. Baka tapa is beef tapa. It's a, a really nice dish that they have in the Philippines. Uh, or a manakadobo, <laughs> that's chicken. And uh, they, they have some lovely food there. I enjoy going to the Philippines to serve the brethren. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so you'll be able to go back there and you'll be able to serve God's people. Let's notice a scripture here in, uh, in Isaiah chapter 11. This is another great scripture that you'll be able to apply or will apply to you literally when you are ruling in God's kingdom. It says that we shall be like Christ and see him as he is. Notice Isaiah chapter 11. In verse 2, it speaks about Jesus Christ. It says, And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, 
and shall make him of quick understanding or of lively understanding in the fear of the Lord. And he shall not judge after the sight of his eyes, neither reprove after the hearing of his ears. Wouldn't you love to be able to make judgments not according to what you see or hear? Wouldn't it be great if you were able to discern the heart and the minds of those people that you will be serving in the kingdom? And, and to... And to ascertain things and, and, and apply perfect judgment and perfect understanding and always be able to handle a, sense, a situation with sensitivity, with kindness and yet with firmness when you need to, always having that perfect measure of wisdom and understanding. That's what it's going to be like in the first resurrection. That's why we are being trained in this church in this place, at this time. We are amongst the elect. We are indeed greatly blessed because we have been called at this time. So the great spiritual resurrection of Jesus Christ <clears throat> is, was a forerunner of our resurrection. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 once again, the resurrection chapter. And just notice here what it says. Uh, recently, uh, I had the opportunity to, uh, to perform a funeral. And probably f for the first time, I had understood this concept like I'd never understood it before. Let's read this beautiful scripture starting in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 35. It says, But some man will say, How are the dead raised up, and with what body do they come? A good question, would you not say? You fool. That which you sow is not quickened except it die. And that which you sow, you sow not that body that shall be, but bear grain it may chance of wheat or of some other grain. But God, God gives it a body as it has pleased him, and to every seed his own body. And then... Paul says, all flesh is not the same flesh, but there is one kind of flesh of men, another flesh of beasts, another of fishes, and another of birds. There are also celestial bodies, that's heavenly bodies, and bodies terrestrial, that is um, earthly bodies. But the glory of the celestial is one and the glory of the terrestrial is another. There is one glory of the sun and another glory of the moon. Now notice verse 42. So also is the resurrection of the dead. It is sown in corruption. It is raised in incorruption. And when I was doing this funeral, and as we laid this lady to rest, I said, we are planting a seed here today. And just as you would plant a seed in the ground and come back after the winter is over and that seed germinates and grows the original seed disappears. And notice what it says. <clears throat> Verse 44, it is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. There is a natural body and there is a spiritual body. And so it is written, the first man, Adam, was made a living soul that and the last Adam was made a quickening or a living or uh, lively or living spirit. How be it, that was not first which is spiritual, but that which is natural, and afterward that which is spiritual. 
And so we can see that if we have lived a, an obedient, submissive life to God and God has come to the point where he has accepted our life as, an, as, a, as a training ground for eternal life, you know, Mr. David Burson, we, we met uh, uh, some time ago when we were in Dallas and uh, he's a, a positive and, and an encouraging man and yet he suffered terribly with kidney problems uh, and so now he has finished his race. He has passed the test and God has taken him so that he might be given a new body but it'll be a spiritual body. So this is the first resurrection. Let us go to Revelation chapter 20, where it mentions the first resurrection. Revelation chapter 20. It says of the first resurrection, the latter part of verse 5 says this is the first resurrection. It says in verse 6 of Revelation 20, Blessed and holy is he, Blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Why does it say second death? Because it says, it says that it is appointed unto man once to die in Hebrews chapter 9. But after this, the resurrection so the first resurrection, that which pertains to anyone who has lived in the 6,000 years that we are living in today, anyone who has lived in that, first in that, in that time and has been, been obedient to God will be in the first resurrection. <clears throat> Let's have a look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, another reference to this first resurrection. This is our resurrection, if, you, if you'd like to put it that way. This is the resurrection that pertains to those who are faithful to God. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. It says, But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that you sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not precede them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the, air, in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Another reference here to the first resurrection. Now it says that Jesus Christ was the first fruits, but we are also called the first fruits. That makes him then the first of the first fruits. Let's have a look at Revelation chapter 14. Speaking here of those who have been faithful and obedient to God once again, Revelation chapter 14 and verse 4. Notice what it says here regarding those in the first resurrection. It says in verse 4, 
These are they which were not defiled with women, for they are virgins. These are they which follow the Lamb whithersoever he goes. These were redeemed, that is, bought by the blood of Christ. These were redeemed from among men, being the first fruits unto God and to the Lamb. Now notice verse 5, And in their mouth was found no guile, for they are without fault before the throne of God. Let me ask the question of yourself, you and myself. Is there ever any guile in our mouths? Well, I think if we're honest, yes, there is. We are, we are still human. Uh, there is at times guile within us. But you know what? If we repent of any of our sins, of envy, jealousy, guile, you know, vanity, pride, all of those things that are common to all men, then the guileless spirit and nature of our Savior, Jesus Christ, takes the place of that sinful nature that we have. And so as we repent and we strive to overcome, then God gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ in place of our unrighteousness. So we come then to that period where the first resurrection, the first fruits have been resurrected. They have risen to meet Christ in the air. They rule with him for a thousand years on the earth. Here's the question that everyone asks then. What happens to those people in the millennium? Will they be resurrected? Will they be changed? Well, I have to tell you something. I was talking to Mr. Ames yesterday about this sermon, and he said to me, Rod, <laughs> he said, how would you answer this question? And that's the question he asked me. I said, I don't know. <laughs> he said, you're right. <laughs> because the Bible doesn't tell us. The Bible does not tell us what will happen to those people in the millennium as they overcome, as they are baptized, as they live their lives out. People say, well, will they be, as soon as they're baptized, will they be resurrected? It doesn't say. Uh, will they live out a normal, natural life and as they die, immediately they're resurrected? Possibly. Could be. It doesn't say. All I know is that God wants all mankind to be saved. So somehow and in some way, God will work that problem out. <laughs> there are many possibilities. All we know is that God will not accept anyone to be a son of God until they have repented, until they have built holy righteous character, until they have proven over a period of time that they are going to obey God. And then, then and then only will they be given that opportunity. Now we know at the end of the millennium, after Satan is released for a short time, and uh, there will be those people at the end of the millennium who will rebel against God as Satan, you know, is immediately released and he can once again start to transmit, you know, his broadcast of hatred and envy and anger, hostility towards government, hatred and 
bitterness. You know, people are going to be warned in that last generation of the millennium. People will be warned in sermons. In fact, you will be giving the sermons, by the way. And you will be telling people and you will be warning people. And do you know what you will say? I lived in that last generation of the, the old world. And I remember what it was like to have Satan transmitting his, his spirit of hostility and anger and hatred into my mind. I remember what it was like. And these people who will have never known Satan will sit in their seats and be nodding off like that, not knowing what's going to happen. And then when at the end of the millennium it says uh, Satan will be rele released for a short season and suddenly these people will be tested. That will be the great test that will come upon the people at the end of the millennium. And there will be some that will totally refuse to obey God. And they're going to be reserved for, sadly, extermination in the, great, in the, in the lake of fire. However, when Satan has been once again chained and put away, then we read here in Revelation chapter 20, let's go back there, Revelation chapter 20, we come to another resurrection. Verse 7 says, <clears throat> And when the thousand years, Revelation 20, verse 7, And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And God deals with that rebellious group of people. And at the end of it, verse 10, the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet were and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now we come to the second resurrection. It says, And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God and the books, that is the Bible, were opened and another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Now, let's ask the question, is this a physical or a spiritual resurrection? It has to be physical. And what was the test? Have they had their chance of salvation? Not yet. And so these people will be raised physically. And just as the Shunammite son was raised from the dead, and Lazarus, who had been in the grave for four days, he was resurrected. So these people will be resurrected to a physical life. Let's, well, we'll come back to Revelation 20, but let's go back to Ezekiel chapter 37, where there is the, a description of this resurrection. You know, I'm sure that many of you have visited uh, cemeteries over the years to uh, maybe visit your grandmother's grave or... Maybe you've walked through uh, some of the cemeteries of the uh, Civil War and you've seen the names of the soldiers that died. Uh, maybe, you know, you have been in a situation like I have where I've stood in a cemetery and imagined this event taking place. Notice what it says. <clears throat> this is where, of course, Ezekiel was uh, asked by God, uh, will these bones live again? And uh, 
he answered in verse 3, he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Again he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O you dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and you shall live. And I will lay sinew upon you, and will bring up flesh upon you, and cover you with skin, and put breath in you, and you shall live, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Now that's an important part of the scripture. You shall know that I am the Lord. Because many of them, when they come up in this resurrection, will think that Buddha was the Lord. And they will think that uh, some Indian god like Krishna was their Lord. There'll be some people that will come up and say, Oh Lord, you know, and they'll think uh, it was the Jesus Christ that they used to worship. And you say, Sorry, you worshipped another Jesus. And they will be surprised. Notice what it says here in verse 7. So I prophesied. As I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise. And behold, a shaking, and bone, the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when, and when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and the skin covered them above, and there was no breath in them. <laughs> I'm sorry, but you can't help but read it that way. Well, this is what uh, it talks about here. It says, uh, as we read, read on, in verse 10, so I prophesied as he had commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Now the estimates are anywhere between probably 20 and 50 billion people have lived on the face of the earth. I think 50 is a bit of a, a long stretch, but however many it was, let me tell you, the people at the end of the millennium, if let's say for example... We had 20 billion people resurrected. That's at least 40 billion pair of trousers for the men. They've got to have these two changes, I guess. And 120 billion dresses and skirts for the women. Because they've obviously got to have a lot more than the men. <laughs> We're going to have to have water and food and housing and everything ready. Immediately. I mean, these people are going to be resurrected with empty stomachs. They're going to be hungry as soon as they're resurrected. We're going to have to be there ready to, and organized and ready to help them. What a wonderful thing to think about. This is the second resurrection. So let's go back to Revelation chapter 20 and read what it says about the second resurrection. Now, during the millennium, Every man, woman, a man and woman will have had their chance of salvation. They will have had the, the, the truth uh, preached to them Sabbath after Sabbath. They will have kept the Feast of Tabernacles. They will have understood. But this new group of people rising up and being changed into, uh, once again, a, a physical uh, human body, they're going to have all sorts of things in their mind. One of the first things we're going to have to do is separate a whole lot of people who are ready to kill each other. You know? Because someone's going to come up and say, you, I tell you what, you killed my little boy. And we have to say, hey, hey. And we'll hold them apart and settle them down. And on the first Sabbath, 
You, can you imagine giving the sermon on the first Sabbath of the resurrection? Going through the plan of salvation, talking about the two trees, talking about how mankind was deceived by Satan the devil. And they'd be able to say, you know, see those, uh, that wreckage out there? That was when Satan was res- uh, you know, released and, and came up for a short season and that's the destruction that he caused. And people will be, it's going to be amazing as they wonder about all the things that have transpired and taken place. And we will be there. You know, there'll be mothers with little infants that died at just a few days old who will take their babies again in their arms and cry. And we'll cry with them. And there'll be elderly people raised and they'll be given a chance to live out their lives. The question is, how long will they live? We've always used a scripture in Isaiah 65, verse 20. Let's turn there. Uh, you know, this is probably what you'd, <clears throat> you'd say is not a, a definitive scripture. But it does give us an indication of just what's going to happen at that time. Here in Isaiah 65, uh, we probably need to uh, uh, pick up in the previous verse. It says, And I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people, And the voice of weeping shall be no more heard in her, nor the voice of crying. There shall be no more thence an infant of days, nor an old man that has not filled his days. For the child shall die a hundred years old, but the sinner being a hundred years old old, shall be accursed. And they shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat the fruit of them. So we know this is a physical resurrection. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a a tree are the days of my people, and mine elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. So a 100-year period is the estimation that we have applied to this great white throne judgment, as it is called, in which people will have a chance to prove themselves, to hear the truth, to be judged according to their works. Now, the question comes up many times, if a person was a really good person in, the, in this life, in the physical age now, will they have an easier time uh, in that resurrection? Or will it be harder, and will it be harder for the really evil people? Interesting question, isn't it? Well, that is somewhat answered in a scripture in Luke chapter 10, verse 12. Jesus Christ said to the Pharisees, because they did know the truth to a degree and willingly rejected it, uh, he was worried about their uh, situation in that resurrection. And here in Luke chapter 10, verse 12, notice what it says about certain uh, important people that that are spoken of in the Old Testament. Let's see what it says about them in the resurrection. In, uh, In Luke chapter 10, verse 12. It says, but I say unto you that it shall be more tolerable in that day for Sodom than for that city. He was speaking, of course, of the cities of of his day. Woe unto you, Chorazin. Woe unto you, Bethsaida. For if the mighty works had been done in Tyre and Sidon, which have been done in you, had a great while ago repented sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But it shall be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment for you. And you, Capernaum, 
which are exalted to heaven shall be thrust down to hell. He that hears you hears me, but he that despises you despises me, and he that despises me despises him that sent me, speaking to his disciples. So we can see, and along with other scriptures talking about the Queen of Sheba and the men of Sodom and Gomorrah, there'll be many people that will come up in the resurrection who have lived different lives in this life. I mean, the men of Sodom and Gomorrah were destroyed because of their sexual sins. And yet, it says, they will repent. The people of Nineveh will repent. You know what? You might say, well, my dear Nana... She was a dear Christian woman. Well, she might well have been, but that doesn't mean that she's going to have it easy in the kingdom of God, in the great white throne judgment. She might be a stubborn old biddy. <laughs> and she might say to Jesus Christ, well, I didn't really believe, you know, I thought I was okay back then. And he'll say, well, Nana, or Nan, or Gran, or whatever he calls her, let me tell you, you've got some repenting to do. Maybe that's where you'll be able to help her a little, and I'm sure you'll do it respectfully and uh, explain to her. And she will have the same chance as that neighbor who lived next door to her and she thought was such an unrighteous man, and uh, they'll all have their chance of salvation. It's an amazing thing when you put it all together. <clears throat> Let's go to Hebrews chapter 6 now. Because uh, we're going to start to realize here uh, that there is going to be another resurrection spoken of. It doesn't actually mention the term third resurrection in the Bible, but we can, using Scripture, uh, put together an understanding and a realization that there is to be a third resurrection. Spoken here in, about in Hebrews chapter 6 and in verse 4. And this is a sobering resurrection. Uh, our hope and our belief is that there will be very few people that will be in this category. But nonetheless, there will be a group of people that will come up in this resurrection. Notice in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 4, it says, For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted of the heavenly gift. So these are people who have repented, who have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. They've had their chance of salvation and were made partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come if they shall fall away. It's, it's, then the ellipsis is it will be impossible to renew them again unto repentance seeing they crucify to themselves the Spirit of God afresh and put him to an open shame. So we can see that there will be a group of people who have been recalcitrant, who have rejected God and uh, will say, God, I'm just not going to accept you and your authority over me. And there have been individuals throughout the ages uh, in the churches over the, over the years who sadly fall into this category. Let us notice John chapter 5, verse 28 John chapter 5, Jesus Christ spoke of this resurrection and the people in this resurrection here in verse 28. 
John chapter 5, verse 28, it says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in the which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice, and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life. That's the first resurrection. And they that have done evil unto the resurrection of, it says in the old King James here, damnation. In the new King James it says judgment. The Greek word is crisis, crisis. And it means that they will be judged according to what they have done. So here we have a reference to this resurrection in Matthew chapter 25. Matthew 25 is an, another reference to this group of people. Matthew 25, and here in verse 31, it says, And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. Well, we just read about that before. That was the first resurrection. Now, it says... Uh, uh, here in Matthew, so it was Matthew 24 I read that. <laughs> that had you worrying, didn't it? Matthew chapter 25 and in, uh, in verse 31, it says, When the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, and before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. And then at the very end of the chapter, it says, um, verse 45, Then shall he answer them, saying, Truly I said unto you, inasmuch as you did it not to one of the least of these, you did it not unto me. And these, that is the goats, shall go away unto everlasting punishment, but the righteous into life eternal. This is our day of salvation. I don't know those of us in this room who are going to make it into God's kingdom. That's God's judgment, thankfully. I think we have been tested and tried in the living church of God and uh, hope and believe that 99.99% of us, hopefully, will be in that kingdom. But, hey, I'm not our judge and none of us have finished the course. Uh, so we wonder about this third resurrection. Let's go to Revelation 20 and read about it. And of course, the question has to be asked once again. Will this be a physical or will this be a spiritual resurrection? Well, Revelation 20, if we read it here, says something about this group of people. <clears throat> it says in verse uh, 14 of Revelation 20, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found in, written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Now let me explain something. When every one of us, us in this room were baptized, several things happened. One of them was that many angels rejoiced in heaven. But one of the great things is that in heaven, and I always like to imagine it this way, there's a big, big sort of a, a, a like this, only a, a, like a lectern, but a, it's a, this big piece of timber like this with this huge book on it, you see, and this angel with a, a long pen with a golden nib 
that he puts into some black ink. He writes our name in the book of life. (laughs) And we're added to be there for the resurrection. Sadly, though, there'll be some people that had their name in the book of life, but because they've rejected God, it will be expunged. And there'll be some people who will have lived right up through that great white throne judgment, who at the end of it will not obey God. And they will say, no, I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. And so their name will not be in the book of life either. So these two groups of people, those who have had their chance of salvation and have rejected it, and those who know all the the truth in the great white throne judgment, these two groups of people will be together amongst those who do not have their name written in the book of life. And what does it say about them? They will be cast into the lake of fire. Yes, there will be a lake of fire. Yes, there will be some people. Now, so the question is, will that resurrection be as physical or as spiritual? It will be physical. They will be human beings. They'll be flesh and blood. You know, God's not unmerciful. He's simply going to say to these people, look, if you're not going to obey obey me, if you don't want to be in my kingdom, I'm not going to force you. So I'm going to mercifully relieve you of your mental stress and frustration and torment. And there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. In other words, they'll be angry at God because they feel that they've missed out. And he says, no, you don't get the point. You do not understand what I'm offering to my sons and daughters. I'm offering to all those who want to be with us together in the family who who don't want to be rebellious and don't want to be contrary and don't want to be difficult and always coming up with new doctrines and having you know a different opinion all the time you know if if you want to be that way that's fine but you can't be in my kingdom for eternity now they won't like it but god is going to mercifully take them away now the question then comes up What is the lake of fire? Well, it's spoken of that the beast and the false prophet were thrown into the lake of fire. You know, I've always had, and maybe you have had, this idea that a couple of angels will pick up these people and go, one, two, three, and heave them into the lake of fire. You know, one by one, and the poor things have to stand in line. I'm next. No. Now, let's let's have a look at a scripture here. I I think it, it, it explains it. A little better in Second Peter chapter 3. You know, God, God is a merciful God even when he has to punish people. So here in Second Peter chapter 3, we have an interesting description of that, you know, you might say, the events that take place right at the end of the physical world. Do you remember that when God created the physical world, including you know, the, the, the oceans and the, and the mountains and, and everything that's on the earth, he did it for the ultimate purpose of giving mankind a chance to, to, you might say, prove themselves on this earth at this time so that they could become sons of God. Here in Second Peter chapter 3, notice in verse uh, 9, it says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, 
but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. See that? But that all should come to repentance. But there is the provision for those who do not come to repentance. In verse 10 it says, but the day of the Lord... Now, the day of the Lord can be uh, that period which is right at the return of Jesus Christ. The day of the Lord can be the length of one year, as it's, uh, it shows us in Scripture. It can be the day of the Lord where the day is as a thousand years, as the millennium. Can you understand what I'm saying? <clears throat> the term day of the Lord has various degrees of, of, of time length. Here it's referring to that length of time from the return of Jesus Christ to the end of the millennium, the end of the great white throne judgment, where we read, it says, in the which the heaven shall pass away with a great noise and the elements shall melt with fervent heat, the earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of person ought you to be in all holy conduct and godliness? So, here's my scenario. Okay, please understand, this is speculation number 362 of Rod King. <laughs> all right? That here's the sun, right, out here, well, burning brightly out here. Here's the earth at a perfect distance from the sun for the sustenance of life. And the, You understand what I'm saying? Let me ask you a question. What happens? <laughs> Everything is dissolved. Everything is burned up. So you can just imagine at the end of the great white throne judgment when every human being who has ever lived has now had their chance of salvation, has come to spirit life, been given a spirit body, then at that e the end of that period... God just simply goes, Boom. and you know what happens to the, the seas? They just evaporate in a cloud of steam and they, everything just disappears. Now, why do I say that? Revelation 20, 1, verse 1. You see, when all of that's happened, and, you know, frankly, every tree and blade of grass and mosquito and, you know, little dog, I'm sorry to say, ladies, <laughs> will be gone. <clears throat> All that will be left will be those who are spiritual, those who have spirit bodies. Because in Revelation 21 it says, And I, knew, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there were no more seas. See. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things, here's the key to it, for the former things are passed away. And he that sat upon the throne said, Behold, I make all things new. So anyone who has ever been rebellious has now gone. And we have a whole new heaven and earth, 
a whole new family of God, we have everyone in total harmony and unity and peace. Look what it says. And he said unto me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. Verse 7 is the key to it. Verse 7. He that overcomes shall inherit all things, and I will be his God, and he shall be my son. Question again, everyone? There definitely are three resurrections mentioned in the Bible. The first resurrection of those who are the first fruits. The second resurrection of those who come up at the end uh, of the millennium into the great white throne judgment. And sadly, a third resurrection for those who will be rebellious against God. But the good news is that you and I at this time are blessed because it says, blessed and holy is he that has part in the first resurrection.